0: Hello, well-tempered fans. I'm Lauren Hynek, host of this show, a podcast about the smart, creative, and crafty women in the chocolate industry. Our community is growing and internationally. Today, I am so happy to be bringing to you the story of Juliana Aquino, co-founder and owner of Vale Putumujo and Baiani Chocolates in Brazil. She shares with us a long history and love affair with Bahia, her homeland, and her adoration for cacao. Thanks for tuning in. Say it for us one more time in your beautiful accent.
1: Vale Potumujú.
0: You have a, a very long name, kind of like my husband, because you take, it sounds like your, your mother and your father's last name. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us your full name or whatever you go by, and we'll get started in sharing who you are and about your story.
1: My name is Juliana Soares Pinheiro Aquino. Suárez so, Pinheiro and our, my middle names are from my mother and first middle name of my father. And Aquino is from my husband.
0: Beautiful. And your husband is Tuta. And you and him have started a project that we're going to spend time discussing today. I'll start back to a little bit around the, the culture and the personality of Brazilian people. And we always, <laughs> in wherever I've been living, have been reading these articles about how Brazilians are the happiest people in the world. And so often linked to, you know, notifications of that being the persona of the region. And so I was curious in having that within your DNA, and that being part of you and tuta and building a business that was so complex and elaborate, how that has helped you in a project that most people
1: would think is very daunting. It's more like eternal optimism. We we always see a light in the end of the tunnel. It's something like that. So that's why maybe uh, the Brazilians are seeing like happy people. <laughs> this I never thought of it before you asked, but I think you are very right, Lauren, because that has to be happiness that moves us to this to this move because uh, it is really really tough. We also didn't have the the whole idea. Of what we were going through you know but we kind of uh, knew since the beginning that it was going to be a huge thing for us like like the middle age project you know that thing that we <laughs> we look for after our kids are, are big you know they're going to their own projects so we have to find out something else to do so maybe this project was uh, our huge thing at this moment
0: Indeed. I mean, certainly, now that's a great point you bring up about the optimism. But I think in getting to know you, I'm recognizing that it's so much more than just a project. That This is who you are, and this is your land, and this is your story. And so I definitely want to get some questions in that revolve around that. Tell us a little bit about being from Bahia, and that already being so imperative in your person, and how that has helped this project come
1: to life. Being from Bahia is the most important issue in this project, for sure, because Tuta, my husband, was born in the farm. He grew up in the farm. He had this childhood. He uh, stayed there up until 10 years old in his, his parents' farm. I grew up in the city Our farm, this farm that we are in the project now, my father bought when I was seven years old. So all my uh, weekends and uh, holidays and vacation, I was always there. So being uh, from Bahia is is the, the main issue, for sure. I'm really sure. Now I'm more certain about that than I was when we started. So confident about it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Confident about it, but also then driving this desire to regenerate the land. The project, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Vale Putemujou. Good, very good. (laughs) And sometimes you're known as Prime Cacao. So which one, or do they overlap, firstly?
1: Well, Prime Cacao is the company that we want to fund in the U.S. for the importing of our beans, uh, so it's a company it's a it's a different thing the valley Potomujou is the name of the the origin of the cacao my father bought the farm in 1973 by the name of fazenda santa rita but there are many of those i mean there are at least five more fazendas santa rita in the region So we wanted to have a particular name for the origin. So we decided to honor this tree, which is called Potomujou, by uh, giving the name of the origin of the cacao. So it's Valley Potomujou because Valley is valley, the same, and uh, the tree is right uh, beside the river. So Valley Potomujou is the name of the origin now.
0: I want to get back to the piece about why in 2013 you wanted to go back to the land. So we've, we've gotten to the place where we know that this is your family history and this is who you are. But there's something specific about the land that you were called to go back to in a way fix and change. So tell us about that.
1: We never went back to the farm to try to work on it, to renovate or to do something in there because we never had the money. Uh, in 2011 or 2012 something, we received the money that we were uh, waiting for, like 11 years. My father life insurance money that we were fighting some lawsuit. When we get this money, we, I wanted to uh, renovate the school building of the farm. That's why we we restarted to go more frequently to the farm.
0: And the school, how was that connected to the farm?
1: The school was there since 1997. My, fa- my father founded. It. It, the building was really in a bad shape, in a very bad shape. When I started to go there when i restarted i never stopped to go there but when i restarted to go to see the farm more deeply the school was the first thing that called my attention it was the building was in a very bad shape i was i saw that kids you know in a very difficult time of their life that was really sad so it caught my attention and i started to go more frequently and i decided to rebuild the building And then one day I called him, my husband, and I said, Tuta, let's go there, let's see the farm, let's have some uh, coconut water. You know, I just wanted to see my father's land. And he started to go too, and he started to look inside the orchards. Something happened in there, like a light, something different, something from, I don't know, from heavens, that made we want to go back and start this project that we are today
0: that's beautiful when you say the school and the children that needed this school are those the family members of the farmers who still work the land so the cacao farm never stopped
1: having cacao we never stopped to have cacao i mean we couldn't have any more employees so we had to change the relationship with the people that worked in there, giving them an area, a certain area to work on it. And 50% of the profits were theirs and the other 50 were ours. That was the system that people found when the witch's broom crisis started in the late 80s and uh, early 90s, because no one could still have employees the laws for uh, employment in here in brazil are are very tough to maintain you know uh, there are lots of uh, taxes and it was really impossible to keep paying uh, regular salaries for the employees so we had to to change the system for this half half for a long time like for 15 years so the kids of these people that that were in there about like 12 families they were still there uh at that time and also uh the kids from the uh, neighbors the the farms in the neighborhood
0: okay yes so this is an important piece so the farm never stopped producing cacao it is just that with the development of valet putemujo you've now created a new form of cacao in that you're accessing the craft bean to bar market with higher quality product yes
1: when the farm was kind of abandoned we still had the cacao but it was very few those people that that was in there that stuck in there actually they wouldn't take very good care of the cacao even though they had have half of of the production, but they wouldn't be very interested in careful, you know, and be careful with the production. So there was like a way to have cacao for all these years, but not a very good economically. It wasn't very good. There was a time that my brother who was uh, managing at that time gave up of our 50% to give 100% to these people.
0: Even in a tough year that you made that decision. Mm-hmm.
1: With Valiputumujou. now we got back to the system, to the old system. We have employees. We just have one guy that is half-half. He's taking a very good care of his area. Very nice guy. We now have nine employees to help improve the quality of the cacao at Valiputumujou.
0: So you now have nine employees and you've rejuvenated the land. You're growing beautiful cacao that you're now fermenting and treating for the craft market. Tell us a little bit about the system in place on the farm, because in Brazil you have something very special and unique called the cabruca system, and that's something you keep in place on your land. And if there's been any changes to the genetics on the farm, you've had this land for some time, but now that you're focusing on quality, if that has shifted what you've grown or, you know, what your employees are working with? Yes.
1: As we decided to have better cacao, we had to change lots of procedures and to know what kind of varieties we could invest to have better quality and good production too. For the craft market, we are actually working on part of the cacao orchards. Actually at the farm, we have a third of the land is for cacao and another third is an untouched Mata Atlantica rainforest. So for the third of the cacao, we just have a part of it for the better quality cacao. It's around 110 hectares of uh, cacao and we are working on 40 to 60 hectares of cacao for good quality we had to work on finding some different clones and different varieties to replant and to Lauren, I forgot the name for grafting.
0: Grafting. Yes. Mm -hmm. When you're, Using the original trees, but then adding on better varietals or clones. Yes.
1: So it was a long research among some professionals in Bahia, in South Bahia. We had a very good help from Deno Doherty, who was at our farm last year, in October last year. We usually say that uh vale Puto uh, has a history. It's before then and after then, because <laughs> we learned so much from this man he knows so much about everything he's uh, an expert for post-harvest but even about varieties how they behave and uh, the climates and everything the soil uh, terroirs and everything and also from some agronomists in bahia to change the varieties and to change the procedures in the the orchards
0: that's great and we will be sure to link to Dan's work because he does um, some amazing things around the world and many different cacao regions. I have a quick kind of personal question. When I was growing up, I heard a lot about the destruction of rainforests in Brazil. And I know that that is unfortunately still taking place. Some of them being taken over for palm oil production or also cattle. And I'm curious if you would just tell the audience a little bit more about what is the Mata Atlantica? you know, why that is something that's important to you and to the future of the country?
1: The Mata Atlântica rainforest, northeast of Brazil, mostly. Now we just have 7% of it. It's such a pity. It's something that I can't even think about it because uh, when you think you got you got so depressed. <laughs> the thing about the deforestation in Brazil is uh, all about education. The big idea, what about the importance of the rainforest in here in the uh, Mata Atlântica. Thank God there are some projects that are going on to replant and to preserve. We have very close to our farm a huge park that is already in care of the government for preservation. It's called Serra das Lontras it's very close to our farm. So there are some plans for this park for researching and uh, ecotourism, but that very careful ecotourism not to, you know, let people go in. Preservation of Mata Atlantica, which is really good because we really need that.
0: Yes, I had no idea that 7% was remaining that Is such a low number. Wow. Let's say something about the Cabruca system. So for anyone who is listening and doesn't know what that is, how does that impact your land?
1: Yeah, the Cabruca system is something like the agroforest system, where we have the original trees to shade, right? The the little cocoa plant, and after the the cocoa tree is already adult, we keep them because it helps in different in different ways. It helps the the soil. It helps the water, you know, it helps in many different ways. Cabruca system is something that is in Bahia forever. We are very proud of this system because when you go in an orchard, right, besides the function of the trees, you have the view, which is amazing, which is really beautiful. You have all these tall trees shading, doing their, their best for our plantations. So the Cabruca system is something that the Bahian people, the people from Bahia, is very proud of.
0: And it should be mentioned that, you know, as you were just talking about, the soil analysis has been shown that it provides a much more nourishing system in the way that many other lands and regions around you have been turned to use for soy, cane, sugar, and some other grains. So it really is indeed an agroforestry model. Thank you for sharing with us about that. We didn't really say too much about Witch's Broom. Is there something else that someone who doesn't know that this has taken place would have a better understanding about the Brazilian landscape, knowing that in the late 80s there was this epidemic?
1: The story of Witch's Broom in Bahia is very sad because it was criminal. It was a fungus, correct? It is a fungus that was brought from Amazonia. So when
0: you say it was criminal, it was almost an act of terrorism.
1: Which is brom in Bahia, unfortunately, was an act of bioterrorism. Some people they were uh, very unhappy about the power of some cocoa producers at that time, sixties and seventies and eighties. There were many producers in Bahia. They were like already very powerful and and wealthy. And they decided to bring the fungus. Because witches broom is a fungus from Amazonia to put in some farms in Bahia. Very wealthy and very powerful or even politicians in some some of these people's farm. They went like four, five times to Amazonia and brought the fungus inside buses because police couldn't get it. Uh, what they didn't know... Was that in the climate in Bahia would be perfect for the large proliferation of this fungus all over the cocoa region in Bahia? So it was a huge disaster, not not only economically but also socially, because we had the beginning of 90s, yeah, 92, 93. We had more than two million people lost their jobs in the farms.
0: That's a big loss to the economy and to, I guess, to the identity of the area as well, because if that's something they're focusing on and then one day it's gone, it changes the structure of a society. It's
1: best and uh, we're finally going back to the farms, make it good again, make them work as they used to be, we're finding some different ways to deal. There aren't, uh, up until now, plants, there are uh, completely immune for the fungus, but there are some good clones. They are very tolerant. So we are dealing with the, the witch's broom. We still have it, of course, especially when you have long period of uh, not raining, and then you have a long period of rain, Right. We still have the witches' room, we still struggle, but now it's getting better because, you know, we learned better how to deal with this. It is history.
0: And you're now building a stronger history, so we have to give you many kudos for your work there. Thank you,
1: Lauren. We've been discussing this because there are some newspapers or some media in Brazil that usually uses the expression coronel, which was the expression for these very wealthy and powerful farmers at that time. The media are calling us the sons and grandsons of the cordonels, and uh, we actually don't want it. Anymore, you know, we are really new entrepreneurs doing something very new for even though the cocoa culture is old, but what we are doing in the region now is really different and uh, it's focused in quality, it's focused in business, you know, in, in transparency. We are in a very different movement now. Even though we are, some of us, some of us my father was not a coronel, my grandfather neither, but some of us are. But we've, even though we have this heritage, the movement we are doing now is very different. It has different focus. It has different uh, ways of, you know, of management. It's resulting in a better quality cacao. I think it's a nice time for us. I'm so happy to be inside this movement now because it's very big, it's beautiful.
0: That's very well said. And I think it will take some time for us to move on from the term commodity because it's still traded on the stock market and still often dealt with that, even though there's many human lives at stake. But the new entrepreneurs like yourself are developing a new definition for what is cacao. And for me, that's mostly about relationships and also how then the land is impacted by these relationships. I think that's a perfect example for us to talk a little bit about maybe some of the strides you've taken already or the goals you have to have your cacao product reach makers. If that's already happening or who you might be exporting to or what the future plans are.
1: We had already exported to the U.S., to Hawaii, a company called Manoa, most of you must know. But we had, actually, this last two years were kind of um, uh, difficult because we had a long period of no rain, like seven months. And then we started to have a long period of very heavy rain. We have two years in this climate problem. It delayed our production. Finally, uh, in the, in the end of this year, we'll probably have the exactly calculation of the, the logistics of the ex- exporting and to whom and uh, when <laughs> and how many, how much anyway.
0: Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because we hear so often about the risks that farmers take in producing this crop that we need to do our jobs as makers or to be in the chocolate industry, but it's not very often we get the opportunity to hear what those struggles are. And certainly a drought season and then a rainy season, which can flip your world upside down has a big impact on on ultimately how your business is running. So thank you for, for sharing that piece of information. We know
1: that things like that could happen, but we just have to be more experienced in these things, right?
0: Some of it is experience, but some of it is also, as you said, climate and how the world adapts. We talked about the witch's broom, we talked about the Kabaruka, and I think now more of the things that are really like your passion which is the ecotourism piece and your chocolate company. How do you envision that that will become a project where people can have an experience?
1: We've been having such a nice time, you know, in this project since we started. We've been passing weeks and months at the at the farm having so much fun and good time you know good feelings every time we are there we always talk about friends this friend could be here you know spending the, the the week with us or that friend or somebody from the u.s or a maker or somebody could be sharing this experience with us because we are so passionate about what we are doing in there it's related to our childhood, to everything we were in the beginning of our lives in Bahia. And because it's the results of our beans are so amazing, you know, if you compare with the, with the beans that we, we used to have uh, before we started, we always want to share all this experience with people. We started to talk about it more seriously. We'll have an inn, a small inn, you know, two, three, and maybe in two years, four or five rooms for people that want to know the process, you know, of the, the post-harvest, the harvest and post-harvest uh, processes uh, and learn about it, uh, either makers or or just um, people that like chocolate and, and, and enjoy this experience and even uh, to be in contact in in straight contact with the nature right because this is uh this is a piece of land that has the view the green the view of the green you know is so different from other uh, regions in Brazil, even in brazil but in tropical countries so um we wanted to share we want to share this with with many people, as many people as we can, you know, so uh, we, we've been already bringing people in there. We didn't even renovate the house. And people just love to be there. We have the, the main house and there is another house to make like a inn, you know, it's a, a rural or eco-rural inn, something like this.
0: <laughs> Sounds amazing. Gosh, lovely. And you're so right. Getting back to nature, I think, is going to be really the key to the future generations, and and even ourselves and what we're living now, is recognizing how important it is to preserve and to acknowledge and to spend time in that element. You know,
1: we have the chicken laying eggs every day, so we could eat the scrambled eggs. You know where they are coming from. We are very excited about this idea. I mean, we had to postpone a little bit. We were already thinking about renewing the houses in the in December or January, but uh, we had to postpone to March or May because it's it has been so much investment it, at the farm, at the orchards, at the cacao, you know, and at post harvest process that we had to you know to lay back a little bit. By the end of the next year, we'll have our you know, friends or people that are interested in knowing this kind of land, you know, this kind of experience.
0: Well, I commend you both on the project and all of the things you've accomplished thus far in creating the fermentation and the cacao beans that will be best serving your brand and your business. And it sounds like this new adventure is going to be something that you can look forward to as well. There's another thing that we wanted to talk about that you've actually already begun, And that is making chocolate. You now have a tree-to-bar process, as well as all of these other things that we've mentioned. And I would just love to spend some time discussing about what that means to you and how close not only this land, this idea, and the product is, but now the chocolate is to your heart.
1: (laughs) This is another very passionate thing. Actually, when we started to want better beans, you know, better quality beans... We wanted to test the beans ourselves instead of only giving to labs to have the analysis. We wanted to test it on our own. The guy that told us to start making chocolate was Greg D'Alessandro from Dandelion. He was the the responsible for that thing. (laughs) So I went to um, a bean-to-bar course in Bahia called Escola de Chocolate da Floresta, and um i made the course bean to bar and then i bought a melanger and it, we started to test our beans the the progress of our beans i said my goodness this is good oh my god this is good you know tempering <laughs> and doing everything so i was like so amazed by the process of making chocolate decided to to launch a brand you know it's going to be out in uh, October or November this year, it's called Bayani, the chocolate. I hope it's good because the beans are good. (laughs) So I hope the maker is good too. I can tell you from
0: experience that, that the maker only gets better. That's just such a beautiful reminder for me as well that there is this lovely global community of cacao enthusiasts that care about one another and that's so wonderful to hear that greg helped push you in a direction to further and enhance your your brand and your in your skill set
1: yes that is something that i love to talk about it it's been i mean I've, i've been into music business my profession before starting renovating the farm I'm still, I still am a singer, but I just, uh, you know, push it aside a little bit. In the music business or corporate companies that I used to work when I started my adult life, how can I say, none of these people, the people that are in, involved in, into this business are like chocolate and cocoa business. None of them. I mean, it's so it's such a different kind of relationship that, that you have. You know, there are some people that you like, best there are some that you, you just you know don't have uh, don't get close so fast but most of the people are so nice and so fun happy people uh, it says that chocolate brings happiness well i think maybe that's the, the reason because i never met a person that is like i don't want to be with this person you know like this no i never never i'm telling you lauren everybody that i met up until now, are nice people. I hope it keeps this way.
0: (laughs) We're all very high on serotonin levels, and maybe we're all secretly Brazilians underneath.
1: (laughs) You see, maybe the the cocoa in Brazil is responsible for the happiness that Brazilian people brings. (laughs) It's totally
0: plausible. That's great to hear. So there's just a couple more questions before we close the interview. And one of them is straightforward in that it's a short question, but it can be very complex in what your answer might be. But that's totally up to you. And it is, what does cacao mean to you?
1: Cacao to me means life. It's my life. I finally found out that cacao is my life. It's been my life uh, since I was born. I just took some time out of the life of cacao farm. But uh, since I'm back, I feel so comfortable and so confident in everything. So cacao is my life.
0: There's just such a love story that is weaved throughout your relationship with Duta and your relationship with cacao and your country. It's awesome to hear that passion and confidence.
1: A lot of passion, a lot. In the beginning, I was a little scared because it was like our farm is 350 hectares. Even though it's 110 hectares of cacao, it's like 350 hectares. It's a big land for two people that were so far from the you know, the agriculture life and the agriculture, you know, processes, nothing's perfect, but I feel so good and so, so complete, you know, it's something that really invaded us I like, completely. <laughs> it yeah. is really happiness.
0: I'm very excited to be having now these interviews with people outside of North America. And so I also have to give you a lot of credit for sharing stories from other parts of the world. But this has to do with, if you are going to the cosmos, if maybe if you and Tuta are headed to the cosmos tomorrow and you are bringing chocolates with you. <laughs> What three chocolates would you bring? And this could be or an origin or it could be, you know, your favorite kind of truffle, whatever it is that you just
1: couldn't leave without. It's, it's difficult because there are so many. But uh, as I'm very much into Bintu Bar now, I've been um, studying and uh, tasting and, uh, you know, trying to find all the secrets of this chocolate. So I, I can tell you about Bintu Bar. For origin, uh, definitely Madagascar. It was the best chocolate I ever tasted. I mean, the first time I put Madagascar in my mouth was like heavens. I said, I never had chocolate before. This is chocolate. (laughs) The three bars that I'm um, nowadays uh, enjoying to taste are, I liked very much the Maru. Vietnam, the letterpress, Honduras. And in here in Brazil, I have many uh, that I really like. I would take Luisa Abram, the 70% Luisa Abram with me. She goes to the Amazonia forest, to the rainforest. She goes inside. She stays like four days inside the forest sourcing. And uh, you know, with, the, with the, her communities, she, she works in uh, different communities, you know. She's a pioneer in Bar in São Paulo. She and uh, Bruno, which is Casa Lazevícios. But she was, you know, she called the attention because she used to have the factory inside her apartment. It was like a very small room. So there was this big review in the, one of the most important newspapers in Brazil. It's called Estado de São Paulo. A whole page with her and uh it was the smallest chocolate factory in the world it's called the you know the review was the title of the review was that so everybody knows this review everybody read that it became like you know a very known thing she went very up in the curve in the curve of the the graphic like selling selling selling
0: it's a very difficult thing to know when to scale and how to do it. and it is. Everyone risks a lot in, in taking that leap of faith.
1: She's such a nice person. She's 25 years old. She started with 21.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, she looked very young in her photos but to learn that she's a pioneer of now what Arcelia tells me is the largest group of women in chocolate in the world. So I'm going to have to do some more research on that and and speak about all the makers and and people like yourself that are doing incredible projects.
1: Yeah, there is a lot of women.
0: Juliana, I would just love to end with maybe you telling us a couple things. One, where can we find your songs? Where can we hear you sing?
1: (laughs) I do have. I, I have two albums released. The first one is called Disco Bossa. The second one is called Two times bossa is like number two and the X and bossa. So they're both in the iTunes and uh, Spotify, I think. Wow.
0: <laughs> so we have a celebrity on the air today, too.
1: I'm not a celebrity.
0: But I love it. And where can people find you and Tuta now? If they hear this episode and they say, I would love to try this cacao or I would like to come and see the operation in Bahia, how do they find you?
1: Our origin name, it's V-A-L-E-P-O-T-U-M-U-J-U. So it's uh, on Instagram and uh, Facebook, uh, our website too. You can find either Valiputumuju or PrimeCacao.com.
0: Excellent. And we will make sure that these are located on the website. So after the show is published, people can reach out to you and, and just learn more about this fabulous project that you've endeavored upon. So, Juliana, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing this story and an inspiration from your native land.
1: Well, Lauren, thank you. You know, you have an amazing project This is something that uh, everybody should know. And, uh, you know, it's a very uh, exciting and uh, passionate project that you have. So I I want to thank you to let me participate in that.
0: I'm so excited to share this story with everyone because it means a lot that we can now go to different areas of the world, different countries and, and talk about the thing that is so important to us. I'm just thrilled that you agreed, and I think that this is going to be fantastic.
1: Thank you, dear. Thank you very much. Muito obrigada,
0: Juliana, for being well-tempered, and thank you all for being here. As I will tell you time and time again, it means so much that you're a part of this journey with me. Just after a year into making chocolate, starting my business, running this podcast, and building the Well-Tempered Community Group has shown me so much, and I continue to learn from all of you that are a part of it. This episode has been produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lauren Hynek. Today's show notes can be found at weekendchocolate.com forward slash podcast. The opening and closing song are by Anna Garcia. Thanks for being well-tempered. One morning when I was a child, my mommy asked me with a smile What you will be
1: when you get older The only thing I have clear is just to make this place. A beautiful woman, she looked at me.